So we are uh, in this message series in the weeks kind of leading up to Easter. Uh, we're devoting our time to look at the meaning of the cross and, and what Jesus actually did on the cross, what it actually means for us. We're looking at uh, different atonement theories that have been developed over the centuries of Christianity. And these different ideas, different theories um, are, are as to, you know, what did Jesus actually accomplish when he went to the cross? And, and so I think it's helpful for us to look at these, these different theories, uh, different perspectives of the cross and see each of their, you know, unique value, their unique uh beauty, but no theory is, is perfect. They, they all have faults. They all have shortcomings in them, but instead to maybe look at them alongside of the rest to see the full picture of salvation. It, it's, it's sort of like a mosaic. There's all of these little pieces that have their own beauty and integrity as their own, but only when we place them alongside of the rest, do we get to step back and see and appreciate the full beauty of it all. And so this is more of like a, a teaching series than a preaching series. And so if you feel like you're sitting in a classroom, listening to a lecture, well, good. That's kind of what I intended it to be. Um, but if you hated school um, and you hate the idea of sitting in a classroom, listening to a lecture, then then hang on, uh, because I, I believe that this information is not only helpful for our minds, but it's also uh, transformative for our souls. And so just to catch you up to speed in case you missed last week or you just forgot. Um, we're talking about atonement and atonement is that $30,000 word, which is how much my um, degree cost that $30,000 word that we use to talk about how God reconciles us back to God. So that word atonement, it means to cover over someone's death. And an easy way to remember this word atonement is our at one mint with God. How exactly did Jesus's death on the cross make us one with God? So last week we talked about blood substitutionary atonement, sort of a strange one, sort of a gory one. Uh, but the idea is that Jesus took our place on the cross and that by his blood being spilled, it was actually the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This week, uh, we're going to talk about ransom atonement theory. Now, ransom atonement theory, just like any ransom situation. There is the captor, the bad guy, there's the hostage, and then there's the victim, the, the hostages, friends, and family. And in order for the captive to release the hostage, then the captor demands a ransom to be paid. Now, this is the point where I could draw on um, a whole host of images and, you know, Hollywood movies to kind of make my point of this. Like I could bring up Die Hard um, or Liam Neeson's Taken movies. And we can imagine Jesus on the other side of the line saying, I have a very particular set of skills and I will find you and I will kill you. Now, that would be fun. 
Um, but instead, I, I figured that I would use um, another one of my favorite sin stories from my teenage years. And, you know, God has a great sense of humor. Little did I know that as a teenager, I would be sharing these stories later on in life as a pastor uh, to a church to talk about Jesus's love. But anyways, um, one summer in high school out of just extreme summer boredom, uh, my friends and I devised this great evil master plan that we were going to steal a garden gnome and take this gnome hostage. And so we drove around a neighborhood until we found a house with the perfect garden gnomes in it. We jumped out of my friend's uh, 95 Geo Metro with bright orange ski masks on because we couldn't find black ones, ran up, took the gnome hostage and left a note that we had made out of, you know, newspaper uh, magazine clippings and pasted it onto a piece of paper that read, Dear Gardener, we have your beloved gnome. Now, we didn't think through the plan uh, in its entirety because we didn't actually ask anything for return. Instead, what we did is we just uh, put some duct tape over this gnome's mouth and then we took him out for a stroll around the town taking pictures uh, of him in various places. So we, we took him to the beach. He had a great time there. Uh, took him to the football field at our high school. Uh, took pictures of him skateboarding. Um, and then finally pictures of him um, relaxing next to uh, an empty six pack of, of beer. Um, that, yeah, we just found, of course. Um, but... <clears throat> We, we went and got these pictures developed because this is back in the day where you had to actually go to a place to have pictures developed from your disposable camera. Drove back to the house, placed the pictures there along with our second note where we demanded our ransom. And the note said, Dear Gardener, if you ever wish to see your precious gnome again, give us 100 ramen noodles or else... Now, the uh, the owner of this ransomed gnome broke all of Hollywood hostage protocol and went and called the cops um, and actually placed a Crime Stoppers ad in the local newspaper uh, asking for our return. And, and that's when we figured, you know what, this prank has gone on, you know, just far enough. And so we returned the gnome to its proper garden without receiving our uh, payment of instant noodles. But this is sort of like the ransom theory in a nutshell, that we are all like this gnome. We're, we're just these helpless pawns in this sort of unwinning match between these forces of evil and chaos and recklessness and the good gardener. That we're like this helpless gnome taken from our peaceful, pleasant place in the garden and forced to experience these terrible things at the hands of our captor. We've been imprisoned by things that are, that are beyond our control, a force that is stronger than us. And we are rendered entirely helpless. And it's, it's a strong image. It's a strong image to being taken hostage, but, but maybe Maybe this is how some of you all feel today. 
maybe this this feeling that that there is this this strength this weight of something that that controls you has sway over your life this burden that you feel like you're carrying living in this darkness and so the ransom atonement theory goes essentially like this that satan or the devil or the forces of wickedness have kidnapped us by tricking Adam and Eve, the first human beings to sort of sell their soul over to him. And so Satan becomes the captive and, and Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, meaning all of humanity have been born into this captivity that, that we have all become sort of these disciples of the devil. Although God created us to live in this good and beautiful garden and to uh, fully embrace and experience the goodness and the beauty of life. Instead, we have found that we have been born into this prison that, that you and I were created to experience the joy of life. But instead we've been held captive in misery that, that you and I were created <laughs> To, to live in, in freedom and peace, but instead we're held captive in a world that is full of division and violence. And so in order to rescue us, in order to release us, in order to reconcile us, God sent Jesus to be the ransom payment to set us free. As Jesus said, so himself in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, for even the son of man, meaning himself, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, or as Tim just read from us for Colossians uh, chapter one, he rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son. He loves, he set us free through the son and forgave our sins. And so here's, here's where this theory gets really interesting and, and maybe a little bit weird is that once the traditional view is that once the devil, Satan accepted Jesus's death as this ransom payment for our release after, after our bail was paid and we're released from Satan's hold in this prison of sin and death, Jesus did something surprising. He escaped from the prison himself. You see, Satan didn't realize that that Christ couldn't be held down by the powers of sin and death, that, that he was actually stronger than that. He was stronger than the devil's chains. And so Gregory of Nyssa, an early church father, he, he took this idea and he made his own metaphor and, and kind of expanded it a little bit. He, he talked about Jesus actually tricking the devil and kind of pulling one off on him. It's, it's the fish hook theory as it has become known. And it's the idea that Jesus's body was the bait for the devil, like a fish or a shrimp on a line. And the devil took the bait thinking that he had, he had won, that he had overcome an outwitted God, but actually 
Jesus wasn't just any ordinary human, that he was also divine. And Jesus's divinity, his godness was actually the hook that got set in Satan's mouth when he tried to swallow him up in death. So God, the son took on this human form to, to lure in the devil as bait, but God in the flesh, however, we see that Christ is a meal that death could not possibly stomach. And so it ended up catching Satan and actually capturing him and overcoming him. Now that's all really interesting. Uh, it's really kind of fun to think about, but maybe you have yourself finding yourself, you know, scratching your head a little bit like this is just really, really bonkers. And, and you, like maybe perhaps many others, you have your reservations about this idea that, that for one, God is sort of a trickster in, in this scenario. And also this whole idea of God having to pay Satan something, uh, a ransom to release us. Well, that's just weird. And it makes Satan kind of have almost the same power as God that, that Satan now has the power to force God's hand into this negotiation where God has to send Jesus for our release. It seems weird, but Satan clearly doesn't have as much power as God, right? And if we were to draw this out a little bit further, then if we're seen as these kind of helpless stolen gnomes, then we aren't actually responsible for any of the sins, any of the atrocities that we actually commit. I mean, after all, isn't it a whole lot easier that, that when we're caught, we just say, Oh, the devil made me do it. <laughs> I I'm just a hostage. I'm, I'm just as much a victim as, as anyone else here. I, I take no responsibility. Just the devil made me do it. We're kind of free then from any personal responsibility for our own sin. But you and I know that we have a whole lot more to say in the matter than that. And so while all of those are, are significant drawbacks and, and detractors from this atonement theory, again, no atonement theory is, is perfect. This one isn't either. However, there's still, there's still a whole lot of value, I, I think, in this theory, especially, especially for people who have been victimized before in the past, especially for people who do feel this kind of weight or, or these sort of, these sort of chains that have kind of held them back in a way, these things in life that have kept people from experiencing the, the flourishing that they were intended to live. These chains heavy that have kept us from truly embracing life as God has intended us to live in. And, and I think that this speaks to one of the darkest and the hardest parts of our human condition that we all in some way experience. And you know, what's, what's interesting is that we often speak of sin as, as something that we, we willingly, we knowingly, we voluntarily do. It's, it's something that, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to do it anyways. But what this theory does is says, you know, 
we're the victims here as well. That, that just as Adam and Eve were, were kidnapped and taken hostage, that they were, they were tricked, they bought into the lies, that so too that can happen to us, that, that we can be tricked. We can buy into the lies. We can be lured in and baited and groomed by our abuser and our captor. And I imagine, I imagine that it wouldn't take much imagination for each of us to begin to name some of the chains that we might feel in our own lives. Some of the things that, that hold us back and we feel the weight to them to feel these chains just grow heavier and heavier in our lives. Maybe for some of us, these chains are guilt over our past or shame. After all, guilt and shame can forge the strongest chains that hold us back in our lives. And if you feel that way this morning, know that you're not alone. Know that many struggle and carry their own unique set of chains, but also hear the good news. The good news is that when we read the story of scripture, we find a God who is always on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized. We, we find a God who is always willing to break chains. I mean, this, this is the story of the Exodus. When God set the people free from slavery in Egypt, this, this is the story of the exile. When God brings the people back home after they've been taken prisoner of war and held captive, Captive by a foreign enemy. This, this is the story of Jesus who came not only to break the power and the chains of sin and death, but he also faced his own chains. After all, Jesus went to the cross, not only because he called Satan, the father of lies, but he actually, he called the religious leaders, children of the devil. And Jesus went to the cross, not only just for spiritual reasons, but he went to the cross because he spoke truth to power for the political and the oppressive and the societal injustices that kept certain people weighed down and locked up and shut up. And Jesus said, I have come to overcome the gnome thief. I've come to set the prisoners free. And that, that is the message that has rung true for many people, for many generations, that there, there is freedom in Jesus. And it has implications too, not, not only for individuals, not only that this ransom theory and how Jesus sets individual people free, but how Jesus and his death on the cross actually set entire communities and entire groups of people free. Because when Jesus gave his life on the cross as a ransom, it wasn't just to set some people free. It wasn't just to save some people and rescue some, but it was to buy us all back that there was this cosmic effect that Jesus's death had on the world. 
And, and this is very unique, particularly in our hyper individualized society that we live in, in North America, that, that as North Americans, if, if someone were to ask us, how would you summarize the, the good news of Jesus? If you were to give someone just a single passage of scripture to, to describe what is it that Jesus did? What was his mission and, and purpose in this world? Then most of us would probably respond with John three, what? 16. It's on bumper stickers. It's on billboards. It's on uh, posters and t-shirts for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have what eternal life, everlasting life. We've heard it before. Maybe you've even had to memorize it before. And it's, it's a good summation of the good news of Jesus. It, it, it fits. But the one downfall of only looking at that is that the place of salvation doesn't happen here, but it happens elsewhere. It, it happens in everlasting life. It, it happens in heaven, not here on earth. But for many people in the rest of the world, especially in places like Latin America, where, where there's a lot of, of poverty and oppression and injustice. And, and for many black communities here in America, the passage of scripture that is memorized and, and used as sort of a summary of the good news that Jesus came to bring. It's not John three sixteen. Instead, it's the words from Luke chapter four that Jesus read when he first started his ministry. And he quoted these words from Isaiah saying, this is what I have come to do and have come to accomplish. Jesus said this, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you see salvation, the goal of, of salvation is, is not just something that happens after we die, but it's the kind of life that we get to live here on this earth. The kind of reclaiming that good flourishing life that God intended for us from the beginning that Jesus has come to set the captives free. Jesus has come to release the prisoners and the oppressed. He has come to bring good news to the poor. And so far beyond any impact that this theory of the cross might have on our own individual lives, it speaks to the release of captives and prisoners of all kinds. And so this ransom atonement theory, it became popular not only in the early church where uh, early Christians were facing political and societal persecution, but it's gained in popularity among marginalized communities in modern day. Thanks to the work of, of many Christians like Gustavo Gutierrez and Oscar Romero. And, and they believe that, that the liberating work of God wasn't something that just happened way, way back when in ancient Egypt and God stopped caring about oppressed people, but no God's liberating work is something that still happens in places like El Salvador and Ecuador and Peru and Brazil. It's still something that happens in black communities living in the South today. 
something that they hope for and look forward to. James Cone, one of the, the great modern Christian thinkers, uh, used this ransom theory atonement to, to talk about God's work, not just on the cross, but throughout all of the world. And he was the, the pioneer of black liberation theology. And so he took this idea of this ransom theory and, and he applied it to the black experience living in America today. And, and he, he claimed that the Jesus is black. Not that he actually was. We, we all know he was a Middle Eastern Jew, but, but James Cohn said, no, the experience of Jesus matches up perfectly with the experience of blacks living in the South. And that Jesus's cross is akin to the lynching trees that we've seen throughout American history. Cohn argued, and he said this, he said, Jesus was crucified by the same principalities and powers that lynched black people in America. And because God was present with Jesus on the cross and thereby refused to let Satan and death have the last word, God transformed lynched black bodies to the re-crucified body of Christ. The idea that, that God not only hears the cries of the oppressed, but God actually utters them himself and says to the powers of our world, let my people, let my son go. And so child uh, psychologist, Dr. Robert Coles, uh, he tells a, a story of a session that he had with a, a little girl who was part of a, a migrant farm worker family and community uh, uh, who were under very, very, very difficult and harsh circumstances. And so this psychiatrist, he was meeting with this young girl and he, he asked her if, if she would draw for him pictures of herself and her family. And so she proceeded to do so drawing pictures of, of her with her family or at home or doing, doing whatever it might be. But Dr. Cole noticed that in each of these pictures, there was another figure that he didn't ask her to draw. And so he asked the little girl, who, who is this other person that you've drawn in all of these pictures? And she replied, oh, that's the boss man. But what's interesting is the way that she depicted the boss man in all of these drawings, that he was different from the rest, that he in the distance, he wasn't uh, working in the fields. Instead, he was off in the distance, well-dressed with his eyes gazed upwards and his hands outstretched. So Dr. Cole asked the little girl, he said, what, what is the boss man doing? And she replied, oh, he's, he's looking up to heaven because he's trying to look for God. Because he knows that if God is not on his side, then he's going to be in a lot of trouble for what he has done. Friends, God is always on the side of the oppressed. And, and this is the story of the Bible. And, and make it clear that the God and the devil are, are not on equal playing fields. God and any powers, any forces of sin or wickedness are, are not on equal playing fields. That God is stronger, stronger than any forces of wickedness that, that seeks to hold people captive.
whether it be spiritual or political or economic, the oppressive forces that, that we experience or the oppressive forces that we use on others, God is stronger and strong enough to break any of those chains or any of those strongholds. And perhaps, perhaps that kind of fits where you are today. That, that as you think about your life today, the best way that you can use to describe your struggles and your difficulties is by thinking of chains, the chains that you've accumulated and taken on throughout your life. That, that maybe, maybe for you, <laughs> Maybe for you, these are chains of guilt over your past. Maybe for you, they're, they're chains of anxiety or fear over the future. Maybe for you, they're chains of shame that someone else has placed on you. Maybe they're chains of addiction. Maybe, maybe they're, they're chains of oppression or marginalization that others in society have wrapped so tightly around you. Or, or maybe it's the chains of an illness or the suffering in your body. We all know that there are things in our lives, in this world that do hold us captive. And we all know the weight of these things. We felt them. and Some of you have been carrying them for so long. So I want to invite us as we close to close your eyes and to imagine these chains around you. And I know it might be a, difficult and an uncomfortable thought, but give a name to these chains as you imagine them wrapped around you. And then I invite you with your eyes closed to hear these words from Jesus once again, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has, has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has come to break every chain and there is nothing, nothing in all of this world that can keep you from God's love. There is no height or depth. There is no life or death. There is no harshness or harassment. There is no lack. There is nothing of powers or principalities that could ever keep you from God's love in Jesus Christ that Jesus has come to set you free and hear those words that he speaks over you today of your release and your freedom. My sons and my daughters drop your chains and run in victory, run in freedom. And what a free people do, but sing a song of victory.
you have been set free. So let's sing a song of victory together today.